it's 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 a huge thing um you know the cyberbullying everything that's happening online they have different pressures than we used to we didn't have facebook we didn't have all of that stuff when we were younger um i think you know suicide is something that we have to address instead of just side sidestepping it and tiptoeing around the the whole issue all the time uh that's just me personally. It's like, how can you not talk about something when you got to talk about it? It's basically, you know, oh, this is tapu, we can't really talk about that. But how can we address the problem when you're not actually saying the word suicide? So that's just me personally. On a personal level, we have to be able to address and, 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 and talk to our kids honestly and say, listen, suicide is a problem. Bill Urali, aka Kinka PC, is a hip-hop artist, MC, producer and an all-rounder. He's Samoan, was born and bred in Wellington and now resides in Auckland. Today the business owner and musician still engages with his audience, the youth, armed with what he knows best, music, hip-hop, basketball and a good whānau atmosphere. He's created his own event called Elevated Family Park Jam. It's a free-for-all kaupapa that pushes positive messages. For him, it's about taking action. You know, one of the, uh, the problems that I do find with academia is that you just talk about it and you a analyse it, but then you don't actually put it into action. But I'm on the other side just saying, listen, with your, all that knowledge that you have and your professorship and all of that, what did you actually do to help the community? So we've had three elevated already, mm. and we've also had a elevated the last two months in Numia. So elevated family park jam over in Numia about two months ago to help the community, the Kanak indigenous people over there on that side. Numia, so, what places? Why why did you go there? Uh, my cousin is based there, and she was opening up a community centre. So we decided to um, have her elevated over there. So it's um it's really cool. Um, the Kanak people have their own indigenous uh, problems that they have. And, you know, they're trying to have their own, or, you know, fix their problems as well. I mean, but they got colonised by the French, we got colonised by the English. So, you know, me, I'm anti-colonialism anyhow. So um, that's just how I feel. I see a lot of problems around the motu. Basically, um, our kids are bored. And how are we going to be able to uh, affect those problems with, with something, you know, to actually give them something to do? Uh, a couple of my ideas are that... Over, over in uh, LA, Pico Rivera, they have uh, 10 basketball courts going on uh, for the until around 11 o'clock at night. It's all lit up and, and, you know, it's it's just something to do. Tonight and over the next few weeks, the series Turning the Tide on Suicide features. We'll meet Māori who give their perspective on the issue. This is Tiahi Ka on RNZ. I'm Justine Murray. For the past two decades, Kinka PC has performed around the world. In 1999, his single Reverse Resistance clinched the Silver Scroll APRA Songwriter of the Year Award, and he's performed on stage with hip-hop legend Africa Bombata, Black Eyed Peas and the Beastie Boys. His music has been his ticket around the globe. But there has also been personal struggle, one that includes depression. When I was younger, there was a, a, a time where I wasn't uh, getting along with my, with my partner and um, I wasn't allowed to see my son. And I remember just feeling super, super low. And, um, you know, if you have a red flag, just feeling uh, suicidal, having suicidal thoughts. And I always remember that. And um, I remember the feeling. I remember how it felt. And um, after that, 
I've, I just had a, a couple of more red flags feeling, you know, suicidal, having those type of thoughts um, after I had a boxing match. So it was my event. Basically, over three days, I didn't. I only had eight hours sleep, and I got into the ring. And then after I got into the ring, I finished the event. It was my event. And after the uh, the boxing match, the day after, I was all bruised, battered and bruised. And um, I started having those same, you know, low thoughts. And I thought to myself, damn, these are those same thoughts that I had when I was like 19. And I, I remembered and recognized those feelings. After three days, I sort of, you know, felt better. And But then I was thinking to myself was that if I can have those type of thoughts and um, I can pull myself out, how about the people that can't pull themselves out? and keep on having that, those thoughts continuously. So um, I started organising my own events um, so I can inspire youth the way I was inspired when I saw someone dunk the basketball, when I saw, saw someone scratching you know, as a DJ. I put all of these uh, elements into my own event. We have screen printing, we have uh, hairdressing, we have you know, barbers, $5 hairdressers, just to come in and, and give things to the kids and the community that they normally wouldn't get. We have free food at some of our events as well. If I can inspire a kid to follow something along their 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 whole buzz and you know have focus, then that's another uh, person that is that's on the road on the path to what they want to do. Welcome back to the second day of our conference here, Whānau, at the World Indigenous Suicide Conference. Te Runanga o Ngāti Pikia hosted the World Indigenous Suicide Conference in Rotorua. Attendees included academics from here, First Nations Canada and Australia. King Kapisi was one of the keynote speakers. He talked about the issues facing young people and how his work is ultimately aimed at positive thinking and spreading that message to all communities. For me, this is that where I went down to Reporo and, and, and did a gig. You know, I went and DJed, and they had um, suicide issues that were down there. And uh, this was sometime last year. I just went and, and just did my thing and, and just helped, you know. And, and, and it was really good to go into a community because um, they don't have uh, people like myself that will go down and just, and just DJ the whole day. I, you know, I DJed and sang and to help a community, you know. And also to go into Clendon, Manurewa, to be able to help 6,000 people to be able to go say, listen, hey, um, you know, I've inspired someone to, to, to do something. This is something for, the, you know, to make the community happy. I have a problem with, with segregating, oh, this is for you Polynesians, you, you know, you fobs, and this is for you Māori, and this is for the Pākehā. What about we just serve the community? You, you talk about youth being, you know, bored, essentially, but it's, it's, it's obviously much deeper than that. Uh, growing up as a Pacific Islander, uh, we all have problems, you know, Māori have problems, everyone has problems. But the thing is, we have to address these problems, what's happening at home. It could be either violence, you know, sexual abuse, um, alcohol abuse, uh, drug abuse. You know, it's it just in some of our cultures, it just happens to be just a little bit more normal. You know, and it's, it's one of those things that uh, alcohol was a, a colonised thing for me. And if we can decolonise our mind and go, minds and go back to the way of, of how our ancestors used to live, where before alcohol and before these, these uh, Pākehā Tanga things came to Aotearoa, we live in the South Pacific, but we, we speak, uh, you know, English. And for me, myself, it's one of the issues that I'd, I always try and push is that we live in Aotearoa, why don't we speak te reo all the time? Have you learnt 
to cope so that you don't burn out? How? What are your coping mechanisms these days? Is it just getting old? Does that... Like, what was weird? Well, we didn't have a Christmas. We didn't have a New Year's because we were mahing during that time for oh, our events. Oh, it wasn't religious. It was just no, it was busy. just we were just busy. So we we actually worked through the whole December, worked through January, worked through worked through February, and so by the time halfway February came, I was burnt out. I was like, yeah. okay, I just want to sit down on the couch and just watch some TV, please. So um, it's it's it, that was our first year running our events. So it's learning, you know, a balance between all of that type of mahi. I haven't figured out that balance yet, but. I've sort of got a buzz where if I'm not out there doing the mahi, who's going to go? Who's going to go out there and do it? People would walk into my store, and if they're from Samoa or who anyone, and if they looked a bit pohara, I would just give them a t-shirt. Here you go. Here's a t-shirt. And you know, I, I, I give stuff away. And so my wife was like, "You can't give the stuff away in in the shop." I'm like, "Yeah, but that person like needed." We're running it. a business here. Right. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. So the whole type of business mentality. But I'm also good at engaging and, and talking to people, and um, I actually listen. I just like to help. Yeah. And and if I can help and you know and and a kid and a community can be helped and say, man, you did some really good mahi there, and I'm I'm cool with that. Mm. It, it doesn't have to be monetized for me. It's like I, I feel that if I can change or you know someone's life or just help, then that's that's something good. You know, it's I like money, and yeah, give me some money if you're going to fund me, but it's not my drive. A lot of other people, it's, it's their drive. We have to make heaps of money, and we're going to like we're going to we're going to milk the people. For me, I'm not into milking the people. I'd rather just, you know, help the people. And, and that's just me personally. I followed my heart. I was really able, to, uh, lucky that my parents, uh, you know, fo- uh, allowed me to be able to follow the arts. I have a, a whānau full of artists, and uh, my parents uh, allowed us to do the arts. And so that was one of the different things. Most Samoan parents will say, just go out and get a job and that's it. But we were like uh, Black Sheep and, and the Wairata clan were, were actually quite different. So we have television producers, we have... you got, m- got a Makarita is your sister? Yes, we have playwrights, we have um, um, book writers, we have uh, film directors, musicians, artists. And my mom's Very an creative well. whānau. Yes, we have a, a you know we have a, a super creative whānau, and uh, my my mum was was an artist as well, so she she was educated. The differences with her coming from um, Samoa, being educated, she was very much more open-minded to um, what the possibilities of here in Aotearoa could be for her children. So we came here for education, and um, you know we got a bit askew of that, but you know we excelled in other things. So I'm, I'm really happy with um, being able to do what, you know, just follow your heart instead of going to work for the man. How about just being becoming the man and not having to work for other people? Money talks, though, Bill. Yeah, money talks, and, you, you know, you're going to be a broke-ass artist the whole time, and I'm fine with that. But it, it would kill me having to sit in an office looking at people I didn't like. You know, and that's the type of thing that I go, hey, I love rocking the mic. I love doing, I can actually jump on stage and sing my own songs, not have to do karaoke covers of other songs. And I, and I, I make my own music and my music has gone worldwide. So if I'm a testament to anything, just do your own thing and hopefully that some people will, will like it. Mm. So, but you know, it would, I would kick myself if I, if I didn't try. Former comedian Mike King gave up the comedy game about 18 months ago. For many years, he'd been a staple part of the New Zealand entertainment scene. At one stage, he even hosted his own TV late-night talk show. But he decided to hang up his mic after a shift in attitude. 
stand-up comedy for me was all about taking something negative and and making people laugh with it. Um, but but I started getting really cynical and you know. I turned into a grumpy old man who was always whinging about everything, and it was actually, um, it was, it was causing. It was a major part of my depression. It was a major part of um, who I was carrying around all this horrible my my this horrible weight on my shoulders, and and it wasn't until about three months after I quit that I felt so much lighter. That. Yeah, and, and, and not only my wairua and my wallet, um, <laughs> but because that was how I made my living. You know, I, I, I go around schools uh, encouraging young people to seek solutions to their own problems by making it okay to ask for help. But we don't get paid for that and we don't get funded for that. So it's been, it's been quite a journey for my whole family just to get used to um, um, this extra weight of, um, of of not being able to pay the bill sometimes, um, but I wouldn't trade what I'm doing, uh, trade in what I'm doing now for anything in the world. You know, uh, ten years ago I was a millionaire. I had all the money in the world. I was riding around on V8 motorbikes and Harley Davidsons and four-wheel drive trucks. Had holiday homes. Used to fly overseas for holidays, and I was miserable. I was, you know, I was trying to find my true self and I couldn't find them, and, which led to a life of drugs and alcohol and ego with the fame. And um, now I'm broke living in South Auckland and never been happier. After a public battle with drug addiction and depression, Mike now engages with schools, organisations and attends conferences to discuss mental health awareness. A strong component of what he does is about talking to parents about how to change their thinking in dealing with their young children. He draws on his own experiences. As an adult, I guess, um, like most adults, I think uh, I've had a fairly full life with lots of life experience and um, uh, I became a know-it-all and I was so busy with my busy life um, trying to climb that social ladder that everyone's uh, that's so shiny and so bright and so enticing. Um, I wasn't spending enough time with, with young people, my own family. Um, and whenever my family came to me with a, uh, you know, with a problem, I risked managed the situation. Whatever it is they came at me with, I didn't have time to, 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 that they needed to give them, so I would risk manage. You want to climb a tree? You can't climb a tree. Get into your bloody bedroom. Oh, you want, you know, you want to go into town? Who's going to be there? Who's driving? Daryl? You're not getting into the car with Daryl, so I'd risk manage everything. Yeah. But when you start risk managing young people's lives, you're always looking for the problem. And it's the same as my stand-up comedy days. You see, I'm looking at everything through a negative lens already. I'm looking for the negative. Um, And when I was up north, I finally heard the voice of young people, and it was Ezekiel Dawi who made me look and see the potential in young people. Um, up to that point, there, I thought everyone was a problem. Now all I see when I go into schools is potential, and it's, it's revitalized me. You know, every, every school I go into, I just I, I live off their energy. And, and, you know, I always thought that young kids, like, like most adults, you know, I know it all, don't know how to communicate, you know, selfish. They are none of those things. This generation of rangatahi are the most insightful, compassionate, 
empathetic and an intelligent generation and the reason we're not seeing that in them is because we're not allowing them to have their voice heard. They're telling their friends what's really going on in their lives and in some cases they're saying to their friends, I don't want to be here anymore. I want, I want to leave Earth. I don't want to be here. But then they leave their friends with the three most dangerous words in the world. Don't tell anyone. We say things like, oh, you know, their friends should have told us. Why didn't they tell us? We could have done this. We could have done that. And, and my question back, and, and this is not having a go at anyone who's lost a loved one. This is society in general. Um, the question society must ask is what is stopping our young people from coming to us in the first place? Te Runanga o Ngāti Pikiao also hosted the World Youth Summit. Over the three days, students from around the country gathered to participate in workshops with a focus around mental health and where to get help. Mike was there with his charity Key to Life and through a number of conferences, he has now spoken to over 100,000 youth. So for me, my goal is, you know, is to hear what our young people are saying, to hear what people like Ezekiel are telling me, and then as best I can without hurting um, my generation, tell them, here's what we have to do. And, and I do that by, by sharing my journey as, as a father. I have three generations of children. Um, I've got children in their late 20s, I've got teenage children, and I've got under fives. So, um, and I look at my three generation of children, and my eldest generation, they, they, have, they have issues. They have depression issues, they have anxiety issues, they have, they, um, they have um, relationship issues, trust issues. My next generation of kids, they don't have any major problems, but they have a few anxiety issues. And yet my youngest generation have no issues at all. They're the happiest kids in the world. So I looked at these three generations of kids and I said, what's the difference in these three, three generations? So you apply all of the, um, the, the, the usual measures, poverty. Mm. You no, know, with my eldest kids, I was a millionaire. With my youngest kids, I'm broke. Ah, education, must be education. No, my eldest kids went to private school, uh, St. Cuthbert's, uh, diocesan, Mount Albert Grandma. Uh, my younger kids go to Papatoy South, Desol too. So that's not the issue. And then I looked at it even more closely, and it took me a long time because the thing that was the issue, I couldn't see. The only thing that varied in all three generations' lives is me. That was it. So with my eldest kids, I was my dad. Because I said so. I thought my children learnt by instruction. The second generation of kids of the world had moved on. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, you can have your say, have your say. Yeah, go on, please, yeah, finish now. Good, no. So I was still being that father so I wasn't being the other father where I'm yelling but I'm still so there was anxiety with the youngest generation no problems at all why hey no hang on hang on you fellas she might be four but she is a human being she has an opinion and we should all listen so come on, tell tell us what's happening darling <laughs> tell, yes okay you want a new bike see she wants a new but we're giving wow. them their voice 
if an old fella like me can change, anyone can change. You know, I would never dream of smacking my baby or my mukos now. It's just, it seems patently ridiculous to me that I did it with my, with my eldest kids. And when I, when I say smack them, I smack them on the legs, smack them on the, but I, I wouldn't dream of doing that now. It's just ridiculous. So if I can change, anyone can change. Mike, I've noticed that these, the kids here, they give you a bit of energy, yeah? They yeah. really... Well, I love them, you know, you know, and I, I love empowering them. I, you know, as I said, our kids just want to be validated. So, you know, I, I want them to know someone's got their back. When I talk to them about my life, um, I'm probably the first flawed adult in their life, or the first to admit they're flawed. Um, but on the other side of that, you know, so I'm flawed. I'm a former drug addict. I'm a former alcoholic. Um, you know, I've had major mental health issues that I've hidden behind that mask of funny my whole life. So I've got all of these issues, but I still went on and was successful. So they're saying, so despite all of this stuff, that when you still manage to get through, and do you still have those conversations with yourself? Do you still have? I said, every day, every day but you can still get through. And what they see in that is hope. Depression, anxiety, even suicidal thoughts won't kill you. They won't. Holding on to those thoughts, catastrophizing those thoughts, keeping the lid on the pot and not saying anything, that's the killer. So we need positive societal attitudinal change, a society where people can talk about their problems openly and not be judged for it. And until that happens, we're going to continue to have the problems of poverty, of, of, um, um, of family violence, of all the things that are affecting us now. They are going to keep reoccurring. You can you can have um, you, you, you can have a better society just by changing the way we think, act, and feel, getting people comfortable in their own skin, and reminding ourselves every day that our kids want love, connection, and they want to feel valued. Validation. Yeah. I know all Māori men uh, around about, well, for me it was 45, and a lot of the bros that I see, you know, now at 45, well, at first it's just at about 40, but by the time we're 45, we sit there and go, oh, my God, <laughs> I got it wrong, and we change, you know. But, you know, from a very young age, we're taught to wear masks, you know. I remember the first time I fell off my push bike in front of my dad and all his mates, and all I grazed up my knees, cut my knees, and all I wanted to do was cry. And, you know, and I looked up, and there was my dad and all his mates, and I could see in their eyes that staunch look, you know, don't you. And I got up, and I sucked it up, and I, I limped inside. And all I remember hearing when I was walking up the stairs to go inside, who you got a good one there, eh, bro? Gee, good boy, that one, good. And I felt so powerful that these men were respecting me. But the problem with that was, every time I was hurt from that day forward, my brain triggered back to that moment where I felt great about myself, where I felt this overwhelming sense of pride. And that overwhelming sense of pride was in sucking it up and, 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 and not crying. But now I know at 54 years old, I know that crying is nature's way of lifting the lid off the boiling pot.
how have your kids seen you change now? Um, it's still a journey, you know. Um, you know, well, caused a lot of damage, you know, and, um, you know, I've sat down and spoken with them. I actually spoke, spoke with my son about it. Um, my son, who's a hip-hop artist, I, sp I spoke with him about it. I called him over, and when, when the penny dropped with me, I, I called him over and I said, look, mate, I just want to apologise for... Apologise for what? For being a terrible father. I, you know, and then I told him about my life, you know, my life of... Um, Wanting my dad to pat me on the head and tell me I was a was a, was a good boy, but you know not having time for that. My, you know, I always knew my dad loved me, but all I wanted was praise from my dad, and not getting praise from anyone, having no self-esteem, and then one day finding out I was funny, and then people laughed, and then me getting my then me me getting my my self-esteem from the approval of other people. So then all I wanted to do is make people laugh because I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel uffy. I wanted to feel validated. And I wasn't getting that from my dad, and I was angry with my dad. Um, yet when I talk to my dad, my dad's my best friend, when I talk to my dad about it, he has a completely different perspective of it. He tells me these wonderful stories about stuff that we did that, that my mind had blocked out because I was always focusing on the negative, on the negative. stuff. But, um, you know, and I was telling my son this story, and he goes, wow, because my son's a hip-hop artist, and he goes, wow. I go, what? He goes, that's spooky, because that's exactly what I was feeling when I was growing up, and, you know, all those feelings of pushing people away and the boiling pot and you know the low self-esteem and wow. it was like you know I was like wow you know how but he said but I've gone one better than you dad I go well what's that and he goes I recognized it sooner and I've made changes and he has made the changes so Maori men my age need to focus on this is not a put our egos to one side this is not about me this is not about me. This is about um, making a change for the, the ones that we love. Making a change for our kids. Stop telling our kids what to do. Start showing them what to do. I cry in front of my kids now, and I don't care. Today, Mike hosts the radio show The Nutters Club, along with creating awareness on social media platforms. He set up the Key to Life Charitable Trust in 2008 and the youth programme Tu Kotahi. The Trust also run youth peer support groups and mentoring programmes. Mike explains the Target Zero project. Our target for, for whakamormori, you know, we think there should be zero suicides. Um, I know the academic world and I know the Ministry of Health and all of those organisations, they all tell me that's unrealistic, we can't have an unrealistic goal, but I truly believe that zero is a target that everyone can reach. If we all, within our families, within our sports groups, within our classrooms, if we all make a vow that we will have zero suicides in our family this year, and here are the tools to talk about it. You can come and talk to anyone with, of us without judgment. If we can get to the end of the year without a suicide in our whanau, we achieve zero. And if we keep that goal going and spread that goal among, as I said, our, our um, waka'ama groups, our rugby teams, our, our work colleagues, if we all target zero within the circles that we mix, target zero is achievable. 
and the Key to Life Charitable Trust is the, the banner we fly under. The Key to Life is hope. We're in the hope-selling business. We don't make any money, but we make huge karma dollars. Mike King, kia ora, thank you so much. No worries. Kia ora. Kia ora.